Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jones Bowden He's got it England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match Hello and a warm welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket and our look back at the first day of the third test between England and New Zealand at Headingley. A lovely day actually at Headingley, a rarity for the, the north of the country to, to look so beautiful and the south being rather miserable and overcast today. So Simon, you had uh, the best of the weather undoubtedly, although there was a, a brief interruption. A mixed day, I suppose. New Zealand winning the toss and deciding to bat and probably I'd say at the end of the day, feeling they probably could have done a bit better. England, I would guess, quite happy with the five wickets they took. 225 for five, the final score. Yeah, it was a little bit of a, an after-the-Lord-Mayor's show a feel about the day-to-day. I mean, England had that dramatic win at Lord's and then an even more dramatic win at Trent Bridge. And this was quite sort of common or garden test match cricket, really. Uh, you know, really hard-fought day. Uh, 225 runs in, in 90 overs. You know, it was tough going for New Zealand. They dug themselves out of a hole 123 for five at one point. But when they won the toss this morning, you, you know, heading, you say, you, you know, you, you look up and uh, rather than look down. Well, it was one of those days when you look up and it was clear blue skies. You look down and the pits look nice and brown and, and, and good for batting. And actually, as it turned out, I mean, England, I think we're quite disappointed to lose the toss. As it turned out, they, they haven't done too badly despite uh, losing the toss. But that partnership between Mitchell and, and Blundell has dragged New Zealand back into the game. I, I think um, when I go to uh, bed tonight and probably even tomorrow, I'll, I'll still be, in my dreams, I'll still see Mitchell and Blundell batting together because they dominated the series uh, for New Zealand, putting together partnership after partnership. And without them, you wonder where New Zealand would be. Mm. Yeah, so over 600 runs in their combined stands, which I believe is the most by any team against England in the first three tests of a series by two yeah. batsmen. Uh, and very impressive it was too. Uh, we'll we'll consider how England did as well. Uh, three Surrey players in this England lineup with Jamie Overton making his debut. And uh, a little bit later in this programme, we'll hear from Alex Stewart, the director of cricket at Surrey at the Oval, who is, of course, in charge of those three players and has uh, supervised Jamie Overton's development. So it'd be interesting to hear his take on or what he thinks of, of Overton, as well as, of course, Ollie Pope and, and Ben Folks, the other Surrey men in the England side. 
But it was Broad who started things off today with a wicket in his first over. And it's incredible, isn't it, how how much he has just been all over these left-handed openers like a rash, isn't it, over the last three or four years? Well, he doesn't bother going over the wicket um, much these days. He just goes round the wicket, doesn't he? And, and, it, and that seems to work for him. And, and you know, m- most right-arm pace bowlers these days you know, do go round the wicket. I mean, when you were playing, Yoz, I mean, how often did you go round the wicket to a, to a left-hander? Yeah, that's a very good question. In fact, I, I mean, I, I won't p- prolong this discussion too long, but I did go round the wicket to left-handers a bit more than most bowlers, uh, particularly if it wasn't swinging. I, my natural ball was attempting to swing the ball into the left-hander, and on days, many days when it wouldn't swing, I went round the wicket, especially one-day cricket, actually, uh, but not many people did. And the difficulty of doing it, and the, th- the reason why I suppose bowlers haven't tended to do it in the olden days, if you like, is because it's it's very easy to run down the pitch. Because of your follow-through, your natural follow-through goes off to the left when you're bowling over the wicket. And to bowl round the wicket, you have to make your follow-through go off to the right. And that actually is quite a hard thing to adjust to. So unless you practice it, you end up being warned by the umpire for running down the pitch kind of subconsciously, and then you don't end up doing it anymore. It requires practice, and because it's become such a, an in-vogue thing to do now, bowlers do practice it automatically in the nets. Actually, of course, the other thing is, and this is a sort of a bit of an aside, but in the nets, when you bowl, you bowl over the wicket, right, as a right-hander, and then you, after you've bowled and the ball is hit back to you, or thrown back to you, you walk back down the right-hand side of the net, the round the wicket side to get out of the way of the next bowler running in because nets are a sort of constant flow and so usually if a bowler wants to bowl round the wicket there's always someone walking back down the net obstructing your path Uh, so in a way you know it's just kind of one of those sort of natural logistic things you do you bowl over the wicket in the nets and that's kind of what everybody does so you never practice a skill which has become a very important one in in the game. Yeah, well, absolutely vital. And you, you have to be able to go around the wicket, don't you, to the, the left-handers. And, and, and I think bowlers who've done it well and had success have just shown the way. And you know, it, it's made it a bit a bit harder for left-handers. I mean, Tom Latham's not had a great series. Uh, I think it's fair to say. Well, you it must have been relieved not to see Jimmy Anderson in the England side because Anderson's got him out three times. But you know, Latham was also in charge on that final afternoon. Well, he's in charge throughout the whole game, but he was in charge of New Zealand for that last Test match. In charge in the final afternoon when he's, you know his, his bowler's got a battering and his perhaps his tactics got a bit of battering as well. It's, it's not been one of those series to to look back on. He, he must have thought actually when he nicked off, it, it was a bit of a timid shot actually against Broad. He must have thought when I, when I, he nicked off early on, first over out for Norton. A sunny day uh, headingly goodness me I I really have missed a chance today but I mean actually it was a struggle for his colleagues as well and actually when you think back to that 2019 test match the day that England were bowled out for 69 that that was supposed to be England's big day their big chance because uh, yeah, they bowled Australia out the day before in murky sort of overcast typically headingly conditions good for bowling conditions and then it was a lovely sunny day and we thought right strap in uh, th- you know this is the day in England really make it count and of course they get bowled out for 69 so it uh, it doesn't necessarily mean yeah, you know it's it's sunny above happy days for the the batters of course it was on the final day uh, when it was nice and sunny and Ben Stokes had a, a, a you know, glorious day along with uh, Jack Leach but anyway conditions they felt good for batting today and, and and Latham missed out but then so did quite a few of his colleagues as well yeah 
actually, it's interesting, but Headingley has changed dramatically, I think, in the last sort of yeah. 15 years because uh, in my career playing county cricket, especially at Headingley, it was like running into bowl on soot. There was no substance to the surface. You dug a hole, especially from the bottom end running up the hill, you dug a hole at the crease, which was soon about three inches deep, and you had to keep moving around the crease to find any decent sort of grip to be able to bowl that end. And also, there was definitely an unstable nature to the surface. So the odd ball lifted from just short of a length. I mean, look back at, for instance, the great 1981 test, uh, the Ashes test, when Bob Willis took all those wickets. And, you know, he bowled fantastically well, but there was some alarming bounce on that last day from patches that you couldn't really see, obviously, would make the ball misbehave. But they, you know, the ball often does, or did, misbehave on a, a slightly mottled type of surface at Headingley. If you got it wrong, it was a good place to score runs. If you bowled short, you got hammered. And if you overpitched, you got driven. But if you got that right length, you were always going to be a handful in the old days at Headingley. But now it's a much more even, basically much better surface. Yeah, and I think I've seen in, in just in recent years, you know, some great test innings you know, played at the heading of Kevin Peterson in, against South Africa. There was Moen Ali against uh, Sri Lanka. There was obviously Ben Stokes in, in 2019. You know, top class things. Roots got hundreds here. Bestos uh, got hundreds here. I and mean, the, the interesting thing about Headingly in the past and Headingly now is that I think these days you know it's drier this pitch is quite dry and actually the spinners uh, come into it a bit more Graham Swan took a bag full against New Zealand in a test match here there was a match in which Graham Swan was left out and Kevin Peterson took some wickets with his off spin so I mean you you wouldn't think about playing a spinner really but sort of uh, you know, eighties, nineties. No, yeah. no, you wouldn't. I, I'm absolutely not. You, you're four seamers and an occasional fifth seamer. Uh, I remember a Monty bowling Pakistan out uh, yeah. headingly as well in the, the early two thousands, I think. So definitely, it's changed, and it just proved by the fact that Jack Leach bowled thirty overs today, yeah. the most overs he's ever bowled, either in the first innings or certainly on the first day of a Test match. And uh, he, he, you know, without him, England would have been a bit bereft, I think. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a good point because there was no Ben Stokes today. Well, I mean, Ben Stokes was out there, but he didn't bowl. Uh, he was ill uh, between test matches. Of course, he, he had that knee th- um, issue while he was batting in the last test match and that glorious last day at Trent Bridge. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. But, you know, lo and behold, eight days later or whatever, he didn't bowl. And, I, you know, I think his bowling would have been of great use for England. Uh, today, you know, you had a guy playing his first Test match, Jamie Overton, you know, bowled 16 overs. You know, Potts has has run in all series. Uh, you know, he he bowled 20 overs, but you know, Leach Leach bowled 30, and and Joe Root had to bowl seven. And you, you felt, and he was quite profligate actually. He went at nearly four and a half and over, and he was he was just milk. They were just milking him a bit. You know, did you want Root to bowl seven? As well, it's worth it. You know, against perhaps the left-handers, and then. You know, it is quite a dry surface, but I, I think somewhere in there, in an ideal world, you would have wanted Ben Stokes to bowl, and you know he didn't. Um, there must be an issue there. There has to be, doesn't there? Some some kind of issue, uh, whether it's sort of in terms of just illness and body just recovering, or whether it's you know more um, fundamental than that. Whether it's actually you know a little niggle there, or or slightly bigger uh, than little that's, that's preventing him bowling, because you definitely would have wanted him today. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Mm. Yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to read his uh, his physical situation, it's, 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 isn't it? His yeah, body, yeah. 
he, he covers up a lot of uh, various mm. injuries and in maybe he just felt it wasn't his pitch today but it it does it did swing a bit so yeah uh, i would have thought he would have been valuable good to see uh, jamie overton another debutant uh, doing well for england matthew potts almost a veteran now after three tests and he he bowled a, a very solid first and second spell very consistent uh, continuing his Im, Im, impressive uh, early forays into test cricket i thought he was excellent but uh, jamie overton it's funny actually bowling as i was mentioning before running up the hill it it does put you off uh, at the start because it is quite a significant slope that you're running up to get to the pitch uh, from the football stand end and I think that just threw him off balance a tiny bit to start with. And you can't, you just, you don't feel like you're ever going to get to the wicket when you start off from that end, if you're not used to it. And he was just almost slightly leaning back as he let go of his first couple of overs until he got his rhythm going. But I thought he was pretty good, actually. I thought he swung the ball uh, enough. First three or four overs, not many good length balls. It was either short or full. But the line was reasonable, apart from one really horrible pie that he, he let go in his first over, which was understandable for, for, for nerves reasons. But actually, overall, I thought he bowled well. I thought he bowled well to the left-hander, Devon Conway, and eventually got him out playing a loose shot. And he gave England that extra bit of bite, sort of spite in the attack, which with a bit more uh, time, a bit more experience, could be very valuable. Really strange uh, day for him, really. It must have been a strange day for his dad uh, because, basically, Jamie Overton has kept Craig Overton out of the team uh, for this game. Craig Overton is, is also in the squad. And we had that situation where uh, he, he said afterwards where you know the, the hierarchy, the England hierarchy, Brendan McCullum you know, sat them down and said, look, oh, it's good news for one, bad news for another. And, you know, it must have been a strange conversation that, and, really, and quite hard for Craig Overton, who, you know, who's been in the squad uh, during the summer and, you know, has been on tours and yet was his brother comes in and not quite at the last minute, but, you know, it's been a pick since the last game and, and goes sort of straight ahead of him in the queue. I mean, they're a different type of cricket, isn't it? I mean, those who haven't seen Jamie Overton, Craig Overton is sort of steady, uh, sort of medium fast and Jamie Overton's quicker, isn't he? There's, you know, he can he mm. can push up towards yeah. 90 miles an hour. And the other, the other sort of slightly odd thing is if you look at their first class career, careers uh, Craig Overton has had a, a, a far more solid first class career uh, than Jamie he has got a, a better bowling average quite quite significantly better bowling average he actually takes his wickets at, at 23 whereas Jamie Overton takes his wickets at 30 and actually Craig Overton's got a better batting average as well 21 it's quite close 21.04 compared to 20.80 but when a push came to shove in this game Jamie Overton uh, was the man that they chose, and you know what a day, a day for their, their, you know, their dad to be here today to see, uh, you know, Jamie play Test cricket. I mean, it's not many parents see their sons or daughters, or whatever, play international cricket, but to have you know now both your sons uh, play, uh, it quite a day. Yeah, quite a day. A very similar in a way to the the experience of the War Twins, isn't it? Where in fact one was dropped for the other. Uh, in in the same way, uh, back in the the nineteen nineties, and of course in the end they both had phenomenal careers for Australia, both Steve and Mark Wall. But yeah, funny day for for the dad, and we'll hear actually for, from Alex Stewart a bit later what he thinks maybe is the improvements in Jamie yeah. Overton's play that has allowed him to to get this far uh, to to progress to Test cricket, which is clearly the the 
ambition he had all along. I just thought I saw with him in the brief spelly bowl at Lords in the Vitality Blast against Middlesex a couple of weeks ago. I just thought I saw something there, even though it was only a, a short spell with the bat where he blitzed about 25 off about eight balls and hit a couple of enormous sixes. And also with the ball where he bounced out Owen Morgan and looked really aggressive. I thought I saw something there that, OK, yes, his first-class average is 30, but he looks a better bowler than that. And this summer, his first-class average is 21. and Or he's taken yeah. 21 wickets, certainly, at a, a pretty low cost. And it, it's that confidence that you have that brings the best out in you. And you know he seems to be to riding a kind of crest of a wave at the moment. That's when you want players playing for England when they're buoyant and confident and all their rhythm and everything is working and they can take that that, that success from county cricket straight into test cricket. Yeah, def- definitely. Yeah, he. I mean, he, like, they picked him when he's been in form, like Pops as well. I know uh, Jamie Overton's been playing quite a lot of T20 cricket, but he's been taking wickets in T20 as well. Not quite the same thing, of course, because he bowled in those short spells. But you're right, they they picked him uh, when he's in form, just like uh, Matthew Potts, because they haven't been able to pick Brook uh, of Yorkshire when he's been in form as well. But that's you know that's another issue, and it's hard to it's hard to make an argument for him above the batters in his position in this England team. Now, yours, I mean, there, there was an incident today, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I've never, I've never, I've never seen this happen in uh, cricket before. Yeah, you hear, you know, story deflections. I, I've never actually been on the ground when this has happened. I don't think I've ever seen it in club cricket as well. In all the sort of years and all the matches I played in club cricket, where uh, a batter has drilled it back, it's hit the non-striker. Well, it hasn't hit the non-striker. It's hit the non-striker's bat and deflected straight to a fielder, and and therefore it was out. Have you yeah, ever well, seen I, anything like that yeah, in all I've, the cricket I have seen, a, there's a great clip on YouTube, actually, from a couple of years ago, Yeah, uh, when uh, this bowler runs into bowl, and the batsman, is, I think it's in India somewhere, and this batsman clatters it back, and it crashes into either the non-striker or the bowler's head. I think it's the non-striker. It hits the non-striker full on the helmet, balloons up in the air and is caught either by the bowler or or by a, a nearby fielder. So th- th- that was one. And I mean, today was just quite extraordinary the way not only did the ball ricochet off Daryl Mitchell's bat straight to mid off, but he middled it as well, didn't he? Daryl Mitchell, yeah. he can't, well, stop, middling he can't stop middling the He's ball. He's middling everything. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's, he's batting uh, so well. He, he, he's even hitting the balls that hit back to him at the middle of the bat as well. And I mean, it was just such a freakish moment. There, there was another case which we dug up as well, where Andrew Simons was batting with Michael Clark in a one-day international for Australia against Sri Lanka, and Simons uh, hits it back firmly. And I think it hits the the thigh uh, of Clark, the non-striker, and balloons to a, a Sri Lankan. Uh, fielder at, at straight midwicket. So it has happened before. I think. I think the point I was making is I've never seen. I've never been there. I've never seen it physically happen, sort of live in front of me. And it was just sort of ut- utterly a bizarre moment. I mean, you know, perhaps Daryl Mitchell was a bit surprised because Henry Nichols hadn't played many shots in his innings. He was 19 off 98 balls before he played that one. He he thumped it back. It, it, you know, I wonder what it is about Headingley and and sort of ricochets off fielders or batsmen because because Brian Close was famous, wasn't he? The former Yorkshire captain, for going into short leg fearlessly and being hit on the head by the ball and the ball, you know, 
cannoning off him into some sort of space. And there's a famous story, actually, where he was fielding at short square leg and the batsman pulled one and he wasn't far away from the bat and it sort of went through his hands and bounced off his head and was caught at mid-on. And someone said, you know, thank God you weren't fielding at short leg. What would have happened then? And he said he'd have been called at extra cover. I don't know, by the way, if anyone's seen a, a recent clip on YouTube of a, a village game or a club game in which um, the, the batsman played a, a massive slog. It skied up in the air and the, it's a shot from presumably an umpire's camera or a, an iPhone held by the umpire. So the ball skies in the air. The bowler gets underneath it to catch it right in front of the umpire and the ball goes through his fingers and he falls to the ground, but the ball bounces off his head and up in the air and he catches it one-handed. That's that's another clip on YouTube. It, isn't it? I mean, cricket's just this sort of glorious game where these bizarre things happen, I suppose, and it's what keeps us all intrigued. Yeah, and, and these days, because people record their, their club matches as well, you get more of these sorts of incidents. Actually, I saw that. I thought as he fell over, I thought he kicked it up in the air. Well, um, maybe it, he it, did, yeah. It's difficult to tell from the angle quite what happened because he's slightly out of shot. But anyway, it, it, it's there on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, it, it's definitely worth having a look. But I mean, and, and if you haven't seen uh, this incident, you know, you can go to the BBC iPlayer and watch the highlights uh, at your leisure because it is a, just a remarkable uh, piece of cricket that uh, utterly freakish. Um, but you know, Mitchell, um, undaunted by that, just sort of kept rolling on, didn't he, after T? 78 not out. He's got the chance of a third hundred in this series. But England did have him I think this is the frustrating thing they did have him on eight Potts trapped him uh, LBW I say he trapped him LBW it was given not out by Murray Erasmus and England because they just reviewed one against Henry Nichols they did not review this one and it but it was out and it just felt out as well and the other interesting thing about the Nichols one the, the, the LBW is I think that was out but Alim Dar said he detected an inside edge now I couldn't see one and, and I think, and fair enough, I mean, if he, if he thought there was one there or he wasn't sure, then he could say, I think there should be something on uh, for the third umpire's verdict when you review something like that, where you say, uh, actually, it's inconclusive. So I'm, I, I can't say either way. So the team who have reviewed it do not lose their review. And, and I think that's on natural justice. I'm not, not because it would have favoured England in this situation, but I just think that should be in the, in the protocols, that there should be a judgment for the third umpire saying, you know, it happens every now and again, where you say, I'm really not sure, pitchers don't tell me uh, categorically whether this is out or not out, team that reviewed it do not lose their review, and uh, I think that would be fair. Anyway, Nichols uh, survived that, he didn't survive uh, the, the freakish dismissal, but of course Mitchell did survive and he's still there and he's, he's had a remarkable series he scored all these runs but he has had a bit of good fortune cause, of course because he was dropped by Root early on he was dropped by Potts after he made 100 at, at Trent Bridge made 190 but actually all it did if you think about it was actually gave, gave us a much better game so um, and, you know who knows it might well be the, the case here so uh, just to, to end this section Yoz New Zealand 225 for 5 90 overs dry pitch uh, some rain around possibly on the the second day i think the weather's broken a little bit up uh, up north what 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 sort of day overall do you think that is for new zealand um they need i think they need 350 plus i i think it looks a pretty good pitch and i think the bowls will be <laughs> a little bit bit apprehensive about this england batting order now uh, so I think they need some ballast, the, the New Zealanders. Mitchell is just outstanding. Uh, he makes batting look so simple. He looks as if he has a lot of time. He's in a wonderful rhythmic flow. He, he just, he's, there's no sort of 
massive sort of flamboyance about it, but it's, it's just really nice and clinical and positive, and it keeps it quite simple, like a, a nice on drive, an off drive, and a pull kind of thing. And that, 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 that but it, but it all looks stylish, and and obviously Blundell with him is a very hard man to dig out. So England need to separate them. Uh, I, I sense New Zealand will get close to 350 with these two being uh, looking so secure at the crease. But I sense that 350 might not be enough. If England bat like they have been recently, uh, then I think England could get a lead. So they need to try and bowl New Zealand out for about 350. And I think they'll, they'll be happy with that, actually. Right, well, we had Alex Stewart in our virtual cricket club last night and we talked about the various Surrey players in the England side. And the first person we talked about was Jamie Overton and how Alec felt he developed since coming to Surrey from Somerset. We signed him, was it two years ago? And well, last year was his first full year. We, we got him on loan at the back end of the, the year before that. But when we signed him, you know, his ambition was to try and play for England. And he wasn't playing regularly. Um, at Somerset, he was there or thereabouts, but not regu- a regular player. And I said to him, Look, if you want to come, we want you um, because of the point of difference. Yes, he's got the, the attributes of a quick bowl. He's six foot plenty, um, can bowl at 90 mile an hour. But he he wasn't consistent at times. And Somerset possibly used him more as a, I think the term now is the enforcer. Whereas we saw him very much as, yes, he has that in him. But anyone who can bowl quick and pitches a ball up as well because he can swing it out, then there's a cricketer. But he's taken a while. Last year, he had a couple of injuries, was very inconsistent. And then we signed Asim Mood uh, this, this, uh, for the start of this season as our bowling coach um, because of the movements that we've had in, in the backroom staff. And those two clicked straight away. And Asim Mood is, is a wonderful bowling coach. And he shortened Jamie's run-up uh, a little bit which made him more compact at the crease when he let go of the ball. And we've seen a consistent bowler. He's still bowled 90, 92, 93 miles an hour. He's bowled with good aggression and he's roughed people up. He hit his brother on the head last week. Um, But he's also got people nicked off and LBW through pitching the ball up. Um, We'll know anyone who faces pace, you're generally hanging back a little bit. So show the short ball, but then pitch it up, catch him on the crease. And he's had good success. He's, He's got 20 odd wickets at about 21. He will bowl a couple of balls that he obviously get hit for four because that's what happens. Um, but with his long levers and things, he is a point of difference. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, why England have gone for him with no Jimmy Anderson as against p- perhaps his twin brother. I tell you what, he can bat as well, can't he? I mean, I, I was no, he... watching his, uh, his striking uh, yeah. at, at Lords against Middlesex. And, I, I, you know, there were low full tosses. He was hitting about 85 yards. Amazing. Yeah, no, he, he's a clean striker. But on a serious, you know, again, when we signed him, it was we're not just signing you as a bowler. We're signing you as a bowler batsman all-rounder. Um, and again, he'd probably been... He's one of those, and Yossi, it's probably the same with you. If you bat at number 10, you bat like a number 10. I'd never know. Did you get that high? I'm not sure if you did in the order. Um, but we said to him, <laughs> no, we, we want to get you in at... You know, can we get you in at eight? But think as a batsman, we've, we've got a quite a lengthy batting lineup. So at times he's gone in at nine. Um, but when he thinks as a batsman, he plays like a batsman because he's got a very, very good technique. That's red ball cricket. And in white ball cricket, 
you know, yes, we've got off to a nice start in the 2020 group stages, but he has won us a number of games through his striking, but also his intelligent batting. Uh, and hopefully, you know, he's going to bat eight in a test match, I assume, which will allow Ben Folks to bat properly with a number eight instead of perhaps having a farmer strike and feel as though he's batting with, let's call it a tail end, as against a lower order batsman. Uh, is he being picked a fraction early? We'll find out. You know, as I say, this Asim Mahmood, Jamie Overton combination has been very, very good. You just want to make sure that he can still do it without Azza checking in with him at the lunch break or walking down the boundary edge at fine leg, just to say, just remember certain things with your action or your follow through. Um, but now I've got big confidence in Jane that he'll do England proud. What about Ben Folks as well? Because he's had a he's had a, an excellent couple of test matches, Alec. You know, he's, his place was under a bit of scrutiny, wasn't it, after the Caribbean? It, it, yeah. It, it, well, listen, I went on record probably four, five, four years ago, I think. They said he's the best, or was and still is the best wicketkeeper in the world. And I seriously believe that then. And then people saw him in India on a difficult surface or difficult services, showed that West Indies, uh, I think he's coming for some harsh criticism myself. It hasn't been big criticism, but people say I oh, didn't have a great tour. It's the hardest place to keep wicket. Always has been. You know, go back to, you know, ask of Jack, Jack Russell, Matt Pryor in re more recent times. So he may not have been quite as tidy as he could have been, but because of the difficulties of where you have to stand, how close you are to, to the stumps, everything is very happened so much quicker that I gave him a bit of slack, to be honest. And then with his batting, again, some of the times he got stuck with the tail. So his actual stats of batting averages, yet yeah, were they 20 or something like so? But he, had to, he got himself out and trying to do what was right for the team. So that was the winter. But in the two test matches so far, I think he's just, we're just seeing a, a high-quality, as I call it, world-class keeper, but a high-quality wicket-keeper batsman. You know, he's averaging, I think, 70, 80, 90 for us in the championship. Um, but he's a serious batsman. And when people talk, oh, should we play a better batsman? He could get into a test side on his batting alone. Um, but because he keeps wicket, he'll bat at seven. Um, and as I say, thankfully, with, with Jamie Overton at eight, he's got another batsman behind him. I forgot to talk about Ollie Pope, actually. I mean, uh, you know, wonderful hundred at, at Trent Bridge. Um, presumably, Alec, he's not... That, that's not surprised you what he's what he came up with in that last game. No, it, always where he puts on our sorry bias. It's because I see him regularly and I've seen him since he was 15 or, or younger, actually. Um, he, he's a super talent. Um, what we haven't seen yet is the consistent run scoring of Ollie Pope that we see every week at Surrey. Um, yes, it's slightly different level, obviously. The quality of bowling is different, but his method, technique, is there to succeed at the highest level against high-quality bowling. He, at times, has looked at the term I've used as a little bit frenetic at the crease uh, in India um, on tough pitches. And then in Australia, I think he played his test matches in the day-night games. And he didn't quite do and perform as he knows he could or should have done. And I just hope that, one, if it's the environment that McCullum is, is creating with Ben Stokes, and on the back of the 100 last week, that he now feels more of a solid part of that team as against, if I don't score runs, I might get left out. And I'd still go back to, and I haven't been protective of him, when he got the 80, 81, I think it was, against India at the Oval last, yeah, last summer, 
Then he went to Old Trafford and India called it off for COVID. He had been told he wasn't playing in that test match. They were bringing Bairstow back in or I think, was it Bill Hoops? Some had not played. They were making a, a batting change and the top scorer and the best player at the Oval then got left out. And that can't help a young person's confidence, let alone a senior player, but a younger person's confidence and feeling a part of the environment. Um, but now, and even Ben Stokes went on record and said, I want Oli Pope in my side and I want him to bat three. That's a big endorsement from your captain. And that will make him, hopefully make him feel at home in an England shirt as much as when he wears a Surrey shirt. Oh, that's thoughtful, almost sort of avuncular stuff from Alex Stewart there, who, of course, has been connected with the Oval since the 1980s. And actually, if you factor in his father as well, there's been a Stewart involved at the Oval since the 1950s. Incredible sequence, really. And I think they must be the only family who have two places in a ground named after them. So the Mickey Stewart Pavilion and the Alex Stewart Gate. We couldn't think of any other family that has two stands or landmarks at the ground named after them. So that's it for the show today. Don't forget, by the way, my other podcast, The Barest of Margins, which this week interviews Dr. Cheryl Calder, who is known as the Eye Lady, who is an expert in how to use your eyes better in all sports and has had quite a major influence in some cricketers of note as well. So check out that one, The Barest of Margins. In the meantime, Simon and I'll be back tomorrow to review the second day's play from Headingley. Thanks for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.